Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. It's Cindy Howes. Ah, here we are. It's great to be here. Thanks for listening. Uh, I am pumped about our guest today, Maya DeVitri. She has a new record out, and she's going to do it track by track for us, uh, which we will get to very, very soon. I will tell you a little bit about Maya DeVitri if you do not know. She used to be in a band called The Stray Birds, and she is not in that band anymore. The band originally from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Maya lives in Nashville these days, and she has quietly released one of the best records of the year back in March, the album How to Break a Fall. On the podcast today, she goes through the album track by track with us. The record ranges in sound from gauzy beauties to sick grooves to jagged rock bangers. There are a lot of themes on this record like celebrating women and reclaiming your own self and your body. It fully acknowledges past traumas in unique metaphors. For instance, there's a song called Baking Bread for the Circus. It's about survival in an abusive situation, the circus being like the show where there is darkness behind the stage, and the bread is like whatever you need to do to survive the circus. Maya breaks down this and all of the tracks in insightful and entertaining conversation. She's one of my favorite people and musicians. Everything she creates and says totally blows me away, and I'm so glad to get her back on the podcast. And if you haven't listened to Maya's first appearance on Basic Folk, make sure you go back. She's on episode 11. I've linked it on my website. Uh, I just want you to be as obsessed with Maya DeVitri as I am. Listen on, and I guarantee you'll be all about this amazing person as we get a track-by-track by by Maya DeVitri on Basic Book. It's so funny because, like, doing, like, social distancing, I feel, like, really sick of myself (laughs) and, like, not amused with myself. So, like, digging into your record... And hearing about all the themes was making me feel like maybe I'm just being just a little judgmental on myself. But mm. um, I'm happy to uh, I'm happy to like dig deep into your album. It's like really it's really good. Thanks. So the record is called How to Break a Fall. It was released on March 13th, and so there are a lot of themes on this record celebrating women women reclaiming their own selves and their own body so before we dig deep into like what each song is is about i was wondering if you could talk about like what your feelings on being a woman are like and maybe how has your relationship with your gender changed like if it changed at all after this album I think the album was my way to process a lot of things. And so, yeah, I think it is different now. And I think it was a lot of the album is like a self-examination and an excavation and, you know, holding myself accountable to have deeper self-belief and kind of letting go of a lot of these uh, paradigms and belief systems and things that were really internalized and really ingrained in me, not necessarily from, you know, any specific person uh, in my life, but just over time, like our culture and media and then different relationships. And I think a lot of 
a lot of it is as a as a woman like holding yourself accountable as a woman and to know that a lot of a lot of our strength comes from reorganizing our interior and knowing knowing that that is that work is up to us and it's very private and it's very it can be shared and it can be a collective kind of thing but instead of like instead of leading with like some kind of outward anger or rage I think my process has been yeah to just reorganize kind of from the inside out and and that's a personal journey but I think it's it's also a in this record and on these songs it's something that I was exploring like from other perspectives too and other other stories of women in that process and art like a lot of female artists in that process and what that just like what that kind of thing feels like uh, to live through can can you talk about the different perspectives you were taking into account yeah so one of the perspectives one of the um one of the people who I don't know personally, but this author, Sue Monk Kidd, really influenced this record. She wrote a book called The Dance of the Dissident Daughter. And this book is about her journey. She was, um, for a long time, she was like a writer in basically just a, in a Christian tradition. And she had this epiphany in like the middle of her life in the middle of her career about the fact that she didn't have any any feminine divine presence to lean on it wasn't like any and so even if even if um basically she was she was realizing that there was something deep within her kind of embedded from the christian tradition to lean on and look for approval from the cultural father whatever that is and whether that's like a, a you know a man or whether it's just um, some kind of male dominated culture or a space that women are not in like you know not even not invited or welcome but just like not present because of the because it maybe is a space that hasn't traditionally been open to women and mm. so so that I was I was reading that and I was processing a lot of my own and kind of unpacking a lot of my own experiences in pleasing the cultural father and what that had meant for me and whether it was people I had worked with in the music business so far, people I had played music with, um, and then people like even not as close to me, but just, you know, some random guy and, and feeling that I needed to have some kind of approval or some kind of you know, that I needed to be okay by that person. Mm. And and that that was this subconscious thing that had been running through me for I don't know how long. But it was mm. it was really unsettling and and when I started to read her book and it was like, you know, it's like if you find a book that is like kind of you could use it as a map for your own thing at that time. It's very mm. it can be really unsettling. And so that's one person in, in particular. I overheard my bones reading poems on how to break a fall. And I caught my arms looking up a recipe for how to hold it all. And if I could hold my anger, where in the world would I carry it to? Forgiving myself is the most I can. Okay, let's start talking about the songs on this record. The opener is called Better and Better. And you wrote some notes about each song on this record. And you're talking about how this song was the doorway to a new kind of self-knowledge, self-reliance, and self-acceptance. Yeah. Um, and what I wanted to hear from you about was about the like the mind-body connection where you were talking about that sometimes our pain exists in visible external physical ways like when you break a leg 
but then sometimes the pain is internal, the brokenness is internal and invisible. And this this song is kind of like acknowledging that in, invisible inside pain. But what about when your body is trying to tell you that something is emotionally wrong? How does this song acknowledge the emotional pain that your body physically holds? I don't know. I can't even remember like the lyrics off the top of my head. <laughs> I just know. I mean, I can remember writing it and it was right it was basically right before like a very very big breaking point for me I was in a I was I didn't realize the amount of anxiety and depression I was experiencing in the situation I was in specifically in the full-time touring situation in the Stray Birds and which is a band that I was in for about seven years uh, so for most of my 20s and I, this, this song was the doorway to this record because it, it was that kind of thing where like the invisible shows itself and, and my body was starting to shut down and starting to, this, the pain was like starting to come out of me, whether it was like in a song or, or like physical, physical pain that I didn't realize was possible or, or wanting to, wanting to, you know, break my arm so I would have a reason to not be able to play music for a while because my relationship with music was so damaged and so it was coming from like a really self-destructive place and this song was like it was what was coming out of me kind of like a voice from the future at that time like it's this was this was before the band was still together and this song was like the like when I wrote this song, I and then looked at the words to the song and and sang the song. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I don't think I I don't like I see I I'm seeing I'm seeing how how far I am right now from where I need to be like in my body and mind and and I'm seeing that like I'm seeing the door." for where I like where I have to go and this is not going to be a pretty journey (laughs) and wow so that so that it's it was like it was the doorway and then and then the rest of that and it was there was the song that that started right the writing of of this record and so yeah but I was I mean it was from a really like the to be singing like I'm getting better and better and better was like not how I was at that moment. It was like how I, it was like what I wanted. In talking to songwriters, it seems kind of wild that you wrote that song like in the middle of, of like a crisis. Cause it seems like it's usually after the fact when you've had time to reflect, but, it, but it also is like, maybe the song is also like you were talking about how it was coming out in your writing and like yeah you just had uh your intuition maybe was like pushing it out of you which is incredible yeah like the lines like i'm taking care of myself it's the most i can do it was like i just almost like creating a mantra for myself to be able to just yeah like a to-do list yeah (laughs) totally (laughs) yeah totally oh man it's such a good song like i like what a great album opener uh it's it's incredible Making Bread for the Circus is the next song. This is a song about survival in an abusive situation. The circus being like the show where the darkness, there's darkness behind the stage and the bread is whatever you need to do to survive the circus. Like I'm baking bread for the circus. So why was it baking bread for the circus? Like what made you think of these two metaphors 
in this instance. Like I totally understand the circus part of it, but the bread is kind of like an interesting, intriguing choice. When I wrote the song, I remember it just like came out and I, but I think, I think the bread is, the bread is like what, it's something that's so generic and so simple and like so like nobody thinks about what the circus performers like are eating before they go out or like even you know as as a musician like or when you when you go to see a show like there's somebody was like putting gas in the car that day and somebody was like eating a sandwich at the rest stop and like just the it's the physical filling Mm. filling up of uh, and then there's you know the the external thing of this show that happens but baking bread is like the invisible part and in this in this song the so i in that way i think it's also about like invisible labor and thing just Mm. like the things that we don't see that are keeping everything else like worrying around and happening um i don't know why it's bread specifically but i think just because it's it's just a it's like a simple thing that you could live off of for a long time but maybe it's not actually like nourishing or like over a long period of time and and the baking is i just picture it being like i don't know like kind of different hours i guess like waking up early and putting the thing in the oven (laughs) (laughs) like when no one else is watching and kind of taking care of taking care of the of the of the whole machine when no one else is watching wow so i think that's part of the metaphor and and i think you know the circus could be a dysfunctional it could be a dysfunctional marriage. It could be a dysfunctional government. It could be anything that's like, it's like the smoke and mirrors thing or um, it's like there's a show. Like it's people are putting on a show. And I, I mean, I know in my own experience, like I've done it and I've seen people do it or I've been surprised by people who I later find out, oh my gosh, I had no idea that you were going through such a hard time. And, and it's like, we get accustomed to, we don't know, we don't, we don't, if people aren't, if you're not giving information, like we can't be reading each other's minds, but sometimes we can, sometimes we can help, but sometimes we can't, yeah. if we don't, if we really don't know. magazine a song about a woman literally taking her body taking her body back from a magazine which um can you tell the story of the original inspiration for this song yeah so i do a lot of babysitting and i grew up the oldest of four kids and i've always been a babysitter and you're so responsible (laughs) and uh there's there's these two girls in Nashville who I babysit for sometimes and the older one was uh like puffing her belly out just as big as she could and was really amusing herself and cracking up and really proud of her the shape that she was making with her body and showing it to me and her little sister and you know, How old was she? Do you? Do she you was say? about five, like not quite in school yet. So yeah, like four or five. And so because she's not and not, in, you know, seeing peers and and being, being inundated with messages about what to do with her body and what is right to do with her body, she just feels so comfortable in her skin. And I was really. I think just because of all the stuff I was reading at the time and what was running through my mind about just how how we learn what 
how we learn the ways that we respect ourselves and the ways that we carry our body or how we make ourselves smaller and accommodate to things. And, and so I was, I just was feeling really sensitive and raw to that and, and seeing her mm. in this super joyful, super open state. I was like, oh my gosh, okay, this is, it's like a prayer for her uh, to be able to, I guess, just have, have courage on that journey to come, yeah. come out on the other side. And hopefully, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what, what is ahead of her in particular. I think it's super unique, mm. but I don't know. And I don't think it's particular or unique to, to women either. I think it's, but, but, but there is a, a certain, I can only speak for myself and, and I think there's a really unique struggle to, to figure out that you belong and that you can take up the space and then you can, you know, be a human in a human body in the world. Mm. How did your feelings about your own body change after you wrote that song? I think, I mean, I was kind of, I think I was kind of experimenting with that kind of in a, like where it was the internal way to the external way. Like I had just completely cut my hair off. I, and, and that was, <laughs> that was just something that was, a, it just felt like something I needed to do. And because wait, before you cut all your hair off, you had like, like shoulder length, long hair. Had you always had long hair? There's a little period in, um, right at the beginning of high school when I had shorter hair, but never as short as I, as I had like before, like while writing this record. Yeah. So I think that was somehow a part of it. And I think, but I think also cutting my hair off was like, I didn't want to recognize myself in the mirror anymore. I wanted to look and be like, okay, that's a new person. I can now grow into this new person and not be the person mm -hmm. I was. And, but as far as my feelings shifting, I mean, I wish I could say that it like transformed me or something, but I don't think it really did. I mean, a, one part of the one part of the song is about being, you know, places like like learning that there are places too dangerous for you to go and places that are too dangerous for you to walk and you know, thinking about walking alone at night or something and and it's I really, really struggle with that still. And there's like times that I am feeling like really, really strong and really like at home in my like strong in my spirit and strong in my body. And like I came I, I do a lot of rock climbing at the climbing gym here in Nashville. And I finished climbing one night and I was walking into the grocery store and like some guy like put his car at this weird angle and yelled something out at me. And I just, it like really, really shook me up. And the whole time I was in the grocery store, I was so angry at myself for being so shaken up at this comment and this, and I was wearing like super tight clothes cause I had just been at the gym and I just went from, like, I just went from feeling like, you know, like, just a calm sense of belonging and strength to like just leveled. And that was really recently. And that's, so that's the, I think so much of this record is, is like this ongoing process. And it's, it's kind of like, I'm trying to at least build awareness and like restructure the way I process things inside of me. But I know that I can't like wave the magic wand and be like, now I have invincible spirit. And <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a process and I'm, I, it's like an awareness time for me. She
just don't know when. The next song is called Don't Know When. It's a song about when you're not yet ready to be vulnerable after you've experienced something traumatic. This seems like, so in talking about this is an ongoing process, this seems like a good practice in self-preservation. Like in this song, Don't Know When, you know what you need in that exact moment. How are you at identifying like what your needs are and what has been your evolution with that experience? Definitely getting a lot better at it. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I think like for a, a good example, you know, in, in the situations where basically I've, I've really tried to take a lot of responsibility for my own codependency in a lot of situations. And I, I have been trying to practice being able to just say what I want, like, and picking it even as a choice between two very simple things. Like I would have a tendency for a long time if someone was like, do you want lettuce or spinach? I'd be like, I don't care. Like whatever you want, whatever, you know, whatever you can find in the fridge faster. And, and then I would make this practice to myself. Like, no, no, no. Like you have to, you have to choose Maya. Like you have to know there something inside of you must prefer one or the other because then that was, I was seeing that that was rippling out into all these other places. And hmm. um, so it's bit definitely the other, and the other thing that I've been practicing as far as knowing what I want is to not like self edit and not compromise or like pre compromise, like not try to, not try to make what I'm about to set on the table to someone in a conversation, not try to make it palatable to them necessarily but make it true and make it honest and that's mm. that's been a difficult thing because just in some of the in some of the situations I've been in and the relationships I've been in uh, it's it's been it was like a survival mode for me to be able to to get anything across I would try to kind of tread lightly and see what I could what I could negotiate, but I wasn't, it wasn't always from the most true place or the most real place, which I was afraid maybe would just wreck everything that was on the table. So it, I wasn't able to state it because I was afraid of it. And mm. so that's, that's part of it too. But yeah, I think, so I'm getting better at, at knowing, knowing what I want and what I need to stay in and when I need to have spinach. <laughs> you wanted? Did you say you wanted spinach? I don't remember. I think, uh, but no. I, but I, rem <laughs> I, but I remember that. I remember that I was like, yeah, you know, I want. I, so I don't know if it was spinach, but I, I was like, yeah, I want spinach because I already had lettuce. Like I already had a salad earlier today, or something. Like it was. There was totally a reason. Yeah. There was like totally a reason for me to choose one of those, and I don't know yeah don't know why i just said i don't care at the beginning Let me tell you about my journey with this next song, Something in the Way She Moves. Okay. I listened I listened to the whole record like a bunch of times and then I was going and listening through each song like pretty um pretty uh closely and so I got to this song. I was like, "Oh, like the Beatles song." <laughs> and then I was like, "Let me look up the Beatles song." And then I realized, "Oh, Something in the Way She Moves is actually a James Taylor song and the Beatles song is just called something. Mm -hmm. um, but I also learned that George Harrison was inspired by that James Taylor song. 
And when James Taylor found out, he was very flattered. And he also makes a reference to the Beatles song, um, I Feel Fine, I think, or something like that. Mm. But anyways, it was quite a journey. So cool. I'm wondering, like, it seems like pretty intentional to name to name this song, like the exact same title of a James Taylor song. And, you know, the Beatles song something has a very close reference to. So am I correct or um, did I just go down a rabbit hole, uh, misguided rabbit hole? I love both of those songs. And I think that I'm sure that was in my, I'm sure they were like, they were around. I mean, they were, I couldn't not have them in my mind when, when the song was forming. But I think what I was really trying, what I was really trying to get to was just this idea of, of a woman being watched and being the, like a separate object of something. And, and so I think that with the James Taylor song, the, you know, as much as you can appreciate someone and, and watch them like as a separate object, he's singing about a woman and she's, it's, she's separate and she's, the way she's moving is is like pleasing and making him feel good or it's this in this song it's i'm trying to kind of turn that on its head and it's like her every movement that she makes and when she turns and she stands she's she's doing it on her own accord and she's taking up the space and she's she's kind of on her own journey and the people who are watching her are not like they're like shocked and unsettled and disturbed by what she's doing and i think that is i just hadn't found that narrative in a song before and i wanted to make it and so yeah that was it was it was really just trying to create trying to create this a woman on a journey of of being and and this feel and the feeling of of being watched and being judged and like kind of not just in, even in, for one particular woman, but like women in history. But she kind of doesn't care in the song, and she's taking the snake with her out of the garden, and like doesn't just doesn't care. She's not going to stop what she's doing mm. and her path, and or what she's finding and what she's she's digging things, she's discovering things, she's reading a letter of ransom, she's. And like no, none of the people who are spectating and observing can can watch her. She's still this separate object, but she's like the subject because she's doing the things. And they are not. They can watch her if they want, but she's not going to change her behavior because they're watching. You know what visual I get for the watchers in this song is? Have you ever seen um, Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window? No. With Jimmy Stewart, just like, I think he's like, he's got a telescope and he's watching through his like apartment window at like this potential murder. But um, that's like, I'm, I have like a very like Alfred Hitchcock rear totally. window perspective. I, I also have the telescope and or like binoculars. Like that's totally when it's like at the beginning there, come take a look through the lens. It's like. I picture these people just oh. kind of gathering around their telescope and yeah. trying to peer My God, through. You guys, yeah, get a life. <laughs> There's something in the way she The next song is called "Gray." Is this the halfway point in the album? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which seems like a pretty intentional choice. I found another way to feel the edges Left between the world and you and me I found another way to live the story I found another way to set it free I watch her bend the trees and talk about the choice for the tone of the song and how it is symbolic yeah so the other thing i think that was that was going on culturally while i was writing this record was 
there were the the Supreme Court hearings of, uh, for Brett Kavanaugh being confirmed and Christine Blasey Ford testifying, and there was a lot. There's a lot coming out in, in the Me Too movement, and this song is like it's trying to take a stance of kind of just letting some of that noise fall away and trying to see like farther back than a particular incident and into like the cultural context of what happens and and the cultural responsibility that we all have for our society and the idea that we have a campus rape culture at all or anything like that and like what that what that means and that none of us as human beings are being like raised in little vacuum jars we're interacting and and we're like we're all in this together and learning from each other and coming to believe things about ourselves from each other and what we're supposed to do and what we're allowed to do and so this song is is just trying to take this perspective that there like reconciliation is possible and that forgiveness is possible and love is possible um not necessary and forgiveness just really meaning like i really love that i've kind of come to some definition of that word as like to like forgive in my mind i think about of like giving something forward like for me to forgive someone i give them forward into their own life and their own future and i'm not there anymore and but i give them forward but i don't carry them with me like as my own burden as well i just give them forward to their journey and the tone is like how i feel in my heart which is is that it's not like a blanket it's not blanket forgiveness it's not getting anyone off the hook either um it's definitely like an acknowledgement of the gray and the gray just being like the gray in all of us and the gray in times you know there's times that i wish i would have spoken up and done something differently you know had i known or had i even known to question something that was happening or had i known to speak up about something and it's it's really it's really hard and i think it's it's just trying to like it's trying to look at the cultural landscape but like with a big deep breath and maybe like some kind of conversation about the nuanced humanity that we've been losing because people have been in these narrow definitions of who they think they are supposed to be and so that's what the song is about is is taking like there's the scene in the song of taking the keys from there's like these guards that are guarding you in this prison of who you're supposed to be and and that i guess just giving i'm trying to give strength and hope to myself and to anyone who's in whatever prison that is and and one one part of that prison might be that like the prison might be that you've been able to get away with taking advantage of people and i think that's a prison even if you're t- getting away with it it's so i w- but i want that person to be free and it's not my responsibility to make them free i don't know how to do that but i guess it's just giving the space and and trying to at least acknowledge that we're all in kind of kind of, i think in some of those times we just kind of get in like we get paralyzed and try to make it try to make it black and white now
the next song, Open the Door. This is a rock and roll song, which it sounds so good. Um, <laughs> I want to know how you got there with that arrangement and also how you feel about your vocals on this track because your singing is is um, different on this song and it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, so it was so fun to sing this record because I think I was able to kind of get in these different, like I was able to get in these characters almost, like not quite theater, but to just feel like like it was this song was written in such a specific moment of of emotion and I actually was inspired to write this I started writing this song when I was just I was like I've had it I'm so sick of I'm so sick of someone just like taking a microphone out of my hands during a sound check um or just there was there was this gig and this guy that was not he was not working the show at all he was not doing sound he was not doing anything he was but he was sitting in the auditorium and talking at me and asking me questions about my guitar and my pedals and my amp and just my setup and just talking at me through my sound check and I was having a really hard time focusing and I was also having a really hard time making a boundary and knowing that it was okay to say, hey, like, I'm doing a, my job right now and I, I can't talk to you and you need to, you need to leave. And, you, you know, you need to leave and um, the show starts at eight. <laughs> and I, I don't know why that was so hard for me. And it was, I think it was part of those ingrained patterns and just trying to, trying to make someone else feel comfortable. And I, so that's, that's where the song came from is because I started writing. I was like, I wish I had this song to sing at that moment. And, <laughs> and I would just sing it in that sound check. And that would maybe give me the courage to say what I really needed to say. The song is a literal boundary. It's a literal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I started writing it with like a much more casual feel and then as I got like really fired up as I was writing it I just started playing it with this you know more of that kind of rock and roll like punk rock drive to it and and then in the studio um with with the band Dan Nobler the producer of this record who I also worked with on adaptations and he was like is this okay like are we taking it too far? Is this still like, does this still feel true for you? I was like, yeah, I really, I really want to sing it like this. This is, <laughs> this is exactly what I want to do right now. <laughs> so <laughs> it just feels, it just feels so fun. And, and yeah, like I, I just, there's so many stories on this record and, and I, I feel so, I really enjoy that. I feel, I feel very, very separate from the song kind of like once I've written it, it's like, okay, now I, now I get to climb inside of it and wear the clothes of that song and, and sing it. But then I can step outside of it and kind of see it from afar. And so it's the other thing on this record is I'm, I'm the only singer on the whole record. So instead of there being like harmony vocals or anything like that, I just, my voice is trying to is trying to be the story and be the song and be the the tone fully like there's nothing else to bolster it and so it it's it's like mm. a very unique uh, like each song i think has such a unique perspective and is such is written in this like specific moment of emotion and then there's like a singular voice to deliver that emotion i'm not relying there's no harmonies yeah i'm not relying on it there's no harmonies on the record so wow. yeah that's so true yeah yeah I guess there isn't. <laughs> yeah I got pleasing people out of my mind 
my favorite song on the album, Taking Up Rock and Roll. Cool. Um, yeah. Can you talk about how this song is a, um, in part a tribute to Sister Rosetta Tharp? Yeah. Um, I went like almost my whole life up until making the record or writing the record without really knowing about her. And she is an incredible guitar player. There's, um, I just, I went down like a rabbit hole on YouTube watching videos of her. She's like the godmother of rock and roll for real. And there's, there's like these videos of her wearing like a big long dress and big coat playing at a train station, um, just strutting around, taking solos on electric guitar. I wish I would have seen that like 15 years ago or 20 years ago. <laughs> I feel like it would. I feel like it would have changed my. Um, I don't know. It's like sometimes it's so it's so hard to envision something that you don't see, and so I think like the visibility of women making art and writing and singing and performing and playing instruments and playing guitar and playing drums and, and pl- just all of that is is really really important to just be visible as you know to be to be making the the best and most honest art we can but just the responsibility of like wow I'm like a part of visibility for maybe someone else who you know wants to go out on a limb and and write a song and try to sing about a vulnerable thing and I think for for me there have just been certain not even certain instruments that have felt off limits, but just certain attitudes that have felt off limits. And I think that this this record is like an exploration of those attitudes, like in the writing and in the perspectives and um, and seeing seeing her like her joy and her grit when she's playing and just the just taking up all the space she wants musically. And yeah. and it's and and that's just such a it's such a powerful thing. So so that's that's a big part of of this song and and yeah and then for this one kind of the opposite of of that one of open the door which is just like punk rock this is the one that's actually called taking up rock and roll but we were like let's just really this one is this is like a laid back feel good like just bop along there's no solos it's just it's just a groove and i'm singing it like as low as i possibly can and my voice just in this super chill place. So yeah, it was just, yeah, it's so fun. The next song is Reverie. So this one was, I might need your help to clarify, but it seems as though you wrote Reverie about humanity not being the center of the world. If you go out far enough to find One of the lines that repeats over and over again says to catch her in her reverie it's likely she's remembering life without you and me is the line that repeats over and over again and it seems like you're acknowledging that like your problems that feel as big as the world are actually not the center of the world totally does that sound right yeah, yeah okay yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. And would it be your conclusion that like that thought is comforting or is it not comforting? I think that it's comforting. That's like the most current example. I'm, you know, the we're talking as the coronavirus is happening and I was just reading today that all of the the waters and the uh, in Venice have really cleared up and there's dolphins swimming in the canals now and they haven't seen dolphins there for 
60 years or something. Someone was like, I guess nature is just taking this little opportunity to set the reset button while people are kind of disappearing from taking up all that space for a while. To me, it's comforting to just, I don't know, to like, I think it's, imp- I think they both things can exist that we can, that our, our problems and our situations in ourselves about what we believe, have believed about our, you know, potential and our bodies and our minds and that that's very real and that's a very difficult struggle. But then there's also going to be a tree that falls in the forest and it's making a sound and no one's going to hear it. And that's how it's mostly been for all time. And, <laughs> and that mostly nature is and like the world and the natural world, like we are a part of the natural world, but we've separated ourselves from it. And, and nature is just, it's going and growing and, and there's, there are cycles and noise and silence all around us. And yeah, it's, it's like a, it's like a surrender. That song is a moment of like a great zooming out from the rest of the record and like a great surrender mm-hmm. to like, okay. And also I acknowledge that me and, and my community and my, the music scene and our country and our nations that we've built around the world and all of human history like this is all just um it's it's all like a speck (laughs) (laughs) so it's not i don't know it's and and then not to discount anyone's very very real experience of being in their animal body and animal mind (laughs) that we're in all the time like we're a part of we're a part of that so I think both things can exist. Revolution. It seems like it's like pretty encompassing of a lot of the themes that you have been thinking about in terms of creating this album. It's a song about overthrowing old beliefs and throwing them on trial. Um, and to me, this is the most powerful song on the record in terms of what you're writing about and in terms of the music. Your singing is like very urgent. Um, can you talk about your intention when arranging this song and how urgency plays plays into it and how the message of the song matches the delivery? Yeah, we wanted, I mean, it's the, the guitar tone is like super, super coarse and harsh and, and the drums are just so haunting to me at the beginning and, and like, it's like rattling chains or something. And, and so those sounds together and with, and then in contrast with the chorus of the song, it's just like, it really, really opens up, but still there's, you know, it's still like a a singular melody taking, taking you through. It's not, there's no, there's no harmonies to like fill out this big (laughs) chorus. It's, it's a, the music opens up kind of underneath the vocals, but, but it's still this, just this one melody line and yeah it's like it's like the moment of truth and the moment of battle or the moment of turning away from a specific battle and choosing a different battle and yeah so it feels it feels very urgent i'm still facing what it's like to know myself for a lifetime of long and silences along the beach inside my mind in the meantime 
next song is an actual love song. An actual love song. It is. An actual love song. <laughs> In the meantime, I love you.、Mm -hmm. And so it is a love song, but not just a love song, one that embraces uncertainty and change. <laughs> so,、um, Maya, when you write a love song about a healthy relationship, <laughs> how. <laughs> Uh, how I love the I love the laugh. How does that help you further understand the relationship and understand yourself? I think the change, the part about change is, and like, can you know we love all the seasons and we love all the kinds of weather and we we have to let love change forever. Like that sentiment in the song is is for me what. What has been missing from toxic situations and toxic relationships is the acknowledgement of of growth and and being a growing person and a growing being that may shift and change and you know by the season or by the day for what you need and and what makes you happy and so I think that finding. Finding that with someone where you can acknowledge that is is really critical because love is not a it's like not a static decision and it's it's like a it's a cycle and, and it's in motion like any other living thing. So that's that's a really important part of that song. Song on the album is called Joy, and it seems like now you're in a pretty healthy place, and you let joy into your life. And I'm wondering how do you relate to joy now versus at a time when things weren't so good? I think it's like it's like thank God this exists. <laughs> um, it's real. Like okay, it's real. And how and how did I? And then looking back a little bit, like how did I lose sight of that? Like I think the thing with with some with some abusive situations and toxic situations, you just like your your endurance for unhealthy things just gets really high, and I and then that fills up all the space, and then there's not very much room. And joy might be more of like a high, rather than like a high, like a spike, rather than just like an actually accessible thing, you know, that you could feel about like I don't know, eating a waffle or something. Like, and I'm a, I'm like a super super optimistic person, so that has also really been challenging because I I've always like no matter what I you know no matter what's been going on for me. I have trouble saying that I need help, or have trouble saying that something is wrong, and that I'm, you know, and that's why I got to the point where I was just like completely disintegrating, on like from the inside out. And I think that I was confusing joy with optimism for a while, and and thinking that、mm -hmm. I had joy. Because, or I could access joy, or I could feel joy, because I was able to just take an optimistic perspective. So now, joy is—it's like much feels much more tangible and much more accessible. And and that's like the this the prayer of this song is is like, don't let anybody tell you that joy is just too far, like that it's not worth it, that it doesn't exist, that it's not that it's not here, or that it. Only exists in 
something. Don't let anybody tell you that you have to do something for them for you to feel joy, you know, something that you don't want to do. Or it's not something that is used in an exchange or like negotiation or it's it's not it's not a currency. Like it's it's like when you're actually when you're just like back to your back to your honest place. How to Break a Fall is the record, and we just went through the whole album, song by song. Holy cow. Thanks for doing that with me. <laughs> I know. We did it. Uh, you said some, like, really smart stuff, Maya. Oh. Very good. Thanks. Um, but now, are you ready for the lightning round? Okay. All right. Here we go. Do you want me to tell you what it is, or should we just do it? I don't know. <laughs> Ah. Whatever you want. All right. <laughs> ah. Wait a minute. We talked about this. <laughs> okay, here we go. My Dimitri, what is the first song that you learned on the guitar? It was Our Town by Iris Dement. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. You learned it for show and tell. That's correct. In kindergarten. Oh, man. <laughs> I know my facts. Yeah. Um, okay, do you like Batman or Superman? Uh, Superman. Do you like lakes or beaches? Lakes. What is your karaoke song? I've never done karaoke. Wow. I know, but... No. Well, actually, uh, we used to do like a little karaoke setup with a... and sing along when I was a kid. I'll say um, that one, I think it was called like Stupid Cupid, and it was a Mandy Moore song on like maybe the Princess Diaries soundtrack. I mean, that's like a long, long time ago, but that was one I used to sing along to. <laughs> My irises have turned into hearts. <laughs> that's what, I love that's it. That's what I'll say. <laughs> um, okay, Maya, what was your favorite radio station as a kid? Um, I just listened to, uh, it's called WITF. It was like, it was just what was the local NPR station in Pennsylvania. Oh my God. You listen to NPR when you're a little kid. Well, my parents. You're did. a backseat. I'm you're a, a backseat listener. I'm a backseat NPR child. Um, do you like dogs or cats or something else? Dogs. What is the first album you bought with your own money? Rubber Soul. What was your first concert? Something at the Longs Park Amphitheater uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, it could have been. I can't remember. I mean, I can. I'll say Nickel Creek. Oh, that's cool. No one's going to challenge you on that. <laughs> um, what is the last book you read? The last book I read is called Motherhood by Sheila Hetty. What is your dream collaboration? I would like to hang out with Bonnie Raitt and write together. Oh, here we go. Flying or invisibility? Flying. Star Trek or Star Wars? Oh my gosh. I haven't seen any of that. You have to choose one. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question. What is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Kauai on Hawaii. Love it. All right, that's it. That's the lightning round. Great. You did it. Wonderful job, Maya Dimitri. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cindy. It has been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Basic Folk This Week produced by Adam Corey. Also thanks to our business manager, Lindsay Myers. Laura McCarthy is a producer on Basic Folk. Alex Stanton of Townspeople does our music. I'm your host, Cindy House, and you can find out more information about this episode of Basic Folk and all of the episodes of Basic Folk wherever you get podcasts and also on my website, cindyhouse.net. There are so many episodes to listen to. This was the 66th episode of Basic Folk. So you can go back and catch up. There's a lot of great episodes on here. And I thank you for listening. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>